All right. We're back. Another long absence. Another return. Welcome back to the Kohler Show. I'm Kohler. Today's episode is a sports episode presented by, yeah, we got a presenting sponsor, Fat Boy Sports Company. Um, we'll see where it goes with this. I don't know. It is what it is for now. Um, remember to like, subscribe, follow on whatever you're listening to. You can find the show on any platform, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. I'm thinking I'm going to go rumble. I guess that's just, I guess that's joining the alt-right. I'm going to join the alt-right. I don't care. Anyways, I've been traveling, and we're going to talk about that on a different day. Today, we're just talking sports. And the Detroit Lions, this just happened. Uh, The Detroit Lions have traded TJ Hawkinson, the tight end, to the Minnesota Vikings for a second-round pick this year, a third-round pick next year, and they are giving the Vikings a fourth-round pick this year and a conditional if he play. There's some kind of terms, maybe a fourth round next year. Now, I wrote an article, a blog, if you will. Um, it's on the website, thecolorshow.com. On the Detroit Lions, the rebuild, the fans that pissed me off. Since this has happened, the group chat, I am a Lions fan. If you're watching... Uh, if you're watching, shit's just going crazy in the sports world today. If you're watching the Lions logo in the background, um, I'm here for you, Lions fans, because I am one. I've always been one since day one, and we always suck. We always suck. We're always not good, except for a few years with Stafford and Johnson and Sue, and we had a pretty good defense, and things were kind of rolling. Still never won a playoff game. But there's this loser Lions mentality that we get caught up in every year. Every year we get caught up in this loser. And it's this, I'm sorry, like the fans of Detroit are great and I, I love you guys. Um, the Lions hate, not hate, sympathy. I don't know what, what you call it. It's just like this whiny Lions fan mentality where it's the same old Lions, you know, when are we going to be done rebuilding? And I get it, but it's necessary for a team to get to where... If a team's not good, how are you going to be good other than a rebuild? There's no other way. There's no way that it's not... We're not on the beach. We're not in L.A. Team Players don't want to go play for us. We don't... There's no state... In, it's not like there's no state income tax like in Dallas. And we don't have an owner like Dallas anyways. So I outlined in this blog, Sheila Ford Hamp took over the Detroit Lions ownership in June, I believe it was June or July of 2020. That's pretty recent. Um, She fired Patricia, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, the GM and head coach, a few months after that. She hired... Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes in January of 2021. It is currently October of 2020, sorry, November of 2022. So the rebuild has been happening since January of last year. 
we're not, this isn't a crazy thing to, it's not crazy to be like, yeah, they do need more time. This was one of the worst rosters I've ever seen in my 20 plus years of watching football. Last year it was. This year, no. This year they should be better than they are, and we should evaluate where Dan Campbell is, but to just fire him right now is not the answer. Maybe after Thanksgiving, if he gets swashed by the Bills and we have still one win, yeah, fire him. I don't know who else you want to see as, as the interim head coach. You want to see AG because you guys hate AG. Ben Johnson, maybe. He, w- he just became an offensive coordinator last year. Do Staley. Maybe he's been around. I guess we could give him a shot, but I don't think anybody wants him to be the head coach. I think everybody's looking for this magic Bill Belichick hire. That's not going to happen. So here's the thing is everybody, uh, every chat, every show Woodward sports, every fucking morning is going off on these rants about, Oh, same old lions. We need to get rid of Campbell. Uh, We should have got rid of Campbell last year. And, and we should have fired AG in week three. And we're already a team that people don't want to play for. And you think the answer is just to fire somebody every time the defense with already not that good of a team is not performing. You, you need, I know that patience is always like the fucking Detroit lion um, heel that everybody fucking leans on where it's, Oh, you just got to be more patient with the rebuild. You got to Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell might not be the answer. I admit that. And I would like to see it through at least the Thanksgiving day game. And if it's a horrific Thanksgiving fire him on black Friday, I don't give a fuck. Cause it, the team has not looked good. The team is not necessarily well built right now. They got pieces, but let's look at what the previous regime left them. Dan Quinn, I believe, there was there for five years, and Matt Patricia was there for three. Um, of those draft picks, let's who's still on the team? I think Taylor Decker, the tackle, who was a first round pick, good job. Frank Ragnow is a good center, good job. Jonah Jackson, the guard, good job. Um, Tracy Walker, the safety, who's currently hurt, but good job. Other than that, past five drafts, we have four players on the team from. Uh, that's not ideal. Oh, I guess DeAndre Swift, too, who's always hurt. Who I don't know. He might be traded by now. Let's check. Not yet. Um, but he's a guy that I keep plays well when he's good, but when he's, he's not good, which is most of the time, like what's by the way, not a Brad Holmes draft pick. Now, when you look at Brad Holmes draft picks and what he's doing is building through the draft instead of going out and signing everybody for monster contracts, which doesn't work, which is the same old, that's the same old lions. That's the same old lions. Go out, spend fucking ninety million dollars on Trey Flowers. Spend fucking forty on Jesse James. Why not? Let's throw another twenty-seven at Justin Coleman or whatever those huge contracts were at those shit players who weren't even proven. Ten million for Nick Williams. Does anybody even know who Nick Williams is? And it's 
that's the same old Lions mentality. How's the Jaguars season doing? They threw a bunch of money at Shaq Griffin a couple years ago. How about Christian Kirk and all those other guys? Those, I think Brandon Sheriff was one. Um, they got a they got a defense. Uh, did they get a corner? I, they got a defensive tackle. That guy from the Jets. I don't know. Anyways, it's not working for them. All the good teams, the Eagles went through a rebuild just like this, where they drafted a bunch of people. And then they signed a few guys. They had a few building blocks, which we don't even have that. So can we chill, please, with the with the fire, everybody, every time something happens? I haven't even started about talking about the trade. Let's talk about the trade. TJ Hawkinson traded to the Minnesota Vikings for a second and third round pick, and we gave up a fourth and potentially a fourth next year. TJ Hawkinson's a pretty good tight end. He's 25 years old. He was a first-round pick, top 10 pick by Bob. Yeah, Bob Quinn, sorry. Uh, he's a pretty good player when he shows up. He, he's on my fantasy football team. Uh, let's, let's look at TJ Hawkinson's uh, performance here because weeks one and two, four catches, 38 yards, three catches, 26 yards, three catches, 18 yards. Those are all with Amon Ross St. Brown playing, by the way, Brad Holmes draft pick. Let's go through Brad Holmes draft picks real quick. Panay Sewell, probably going to be an all, he's an all pro tackle. Uh, Levi Onwuzuriki is kind of a, looking like a bust, but he has a back issue. He broke his back spinal. Um, so that's kind of rough, a rough situation. Maybe he'll be back. We can call that a bust though. Uh, third round pick. I can't remember off the top of my head, but fourth round pick was Amon Ross St. Brown, receiver, going to be a – he looks like a pro bowler every year. He's one of the best slot receivers in the year in the league. Here we go, Detroit Lions draft picks. Just can't come up with that third round pick off the top of my head. Um, and I'm trying to dig for it in there. And um, let's just go to the draft history here. Okay. Oh, Lee McNeil. How could I forget? One of our better interior defenders. Our only good interior defender, some would say. Um, Ifiatu Milifanwu, still developmental, not looking good. But, okay, we can call him a bust too, even though I still think he has potential to be something we saw that last year when he played he was a pretty good outside corner I think what they should have done at the beginning of the year is put Okuda at safety and move Malifonu to that corner it looks like that would be the best move anyways that's what kind of is happening Monroe St. Brown we already touched on he's a good receiver he's going to be a perennial pro bowler Derek Barnes is coming around he's playing more this year he looks all right Jamar Jefferson cut so that was last year's draft we got one, two, three, four, five starters out of that draft. Um, and then you count Jerry Jacobs kind of is going to be a starter on this team. He's an undrafted free agent um, and so on there. This year's draft, Aiden Hutchinson looks like a stud. Looks like a stud. Leads rookies in quarterback pressures, four and a half, five sacks. Not much more you can ask for from literally the only pass rusher on the team. 
Jamison Williams hasn't played, which, again, if this isn't a rebuild, then why did we draft a receiver with the 12th overall pick who has a torn ACL in fucking February of that, or I guess it would have been January, January of that year, knowing that he might not play and he hasn't played, but he is fast. Um, Josh Pascal, who had a hernia and missed a couple games, but is back and is playing almost every snap the past two games. He looks really good and a guy you can move across the line. Kirby Joseph in the third round. Safety, who's looking really, really good. High pro football focus grades. One of the best graded players on the defense, which isn't saying much, but it is saying something. He is tall. He is fast. He's coming around. We just traded TJ Hawkinson. Fifth round pick James Mitchell caught a pass last week. First catch. Maybe they see something out of him. Another guy with the torn ACL who's coming back. Who, who knows? Malcolm Rodriguez, Rodrigo, hit star of the fucking hard knocks. Um, tackling machine. Still a lot to learn, but he's getting a lot of playing time, even though it's kind of fluctuating now as we get into the season. Derek Barnes is playing more. I'd like to see Rodrigo and Barnes out there, even though they're smaller linebackers. He's a stud against the rush. He played safety in college his first three years, so he should be okay against the pass. I don't know what's going on there, but maybe we can get – He's going to develop. He looks like a starting linebacker. James Houston, sixth-round pick, which, again, you're not expecting a lot of sixth- and seventh-round picks. James Houston, sixth-round picks on the practice squad. Developmental player Chase Lucas is a scratch usually most weeks at corner. Um, He looks like kind of like a slot corner. But a guy that could stick on the roster. So that's not bad. Now if we go into this year's draft – we now have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a third-round pick, possibly a compensatory fourth-round pick. Um, so that's five picks in the first three rounds, which is where you want players. Um, it's looking like we're going to have pretty high ones, too. Um, trade deadline's not done. We'll see what happens there. But with two high draft picks... I don't know. I kind of like going after – if there's a quarterback we really like, go get a quarterback. If not, there's plenty of defensive players. Stack the defense. Sign some players. We're going to have a fuck ton of cap space. Here's where we are cap space-wise. Let's go through cap space now. Even before we hit TJ Hawkins and we went over the draft. Here's the salary cap situation. Currently – Jared Goff uh, costing $30 million in cap space is about 15% of the cap. Um, if we cut him next year, trade him in the offseason, that would be $20 million saved with $10 million dead space. Um, now, Taylor Decker has a $14 million contract, which we could move today, possibly, and move Panay Sula left tackle. Uh, Jeff Okuda, I think we do pick up the fifth-year fifth option on him. He looks really good this year and maybe sign an extension. He's at $9 million right now. But after that, Ragnow, Brockers is a $10 million. We can save a ton of money by cutting Brockers, who isn't even really playing. And then we're into our first-round picks from this year for these past couple of years. Hutchinson, Sewell, Jamal Williams is gone. We can cut Charles Harris, who isn't even playing, by the way. Will Harris is gone. Oruarie, who doesn't look that good this year for some reason, is gone, probably. I'd like to see him turn it around. He shows promise. He's a big, long corner. He had six picks last year. I don't understand. Um, Swift, I wouldn't mind trading. He's never healthy. 
Hughes is gone. Anzalone's gone. Evan Brown, I'd like to see resigned. What else is there? Vitae. Vitae, we should cut. That's another 10 million. Romeo Quara hasn't played yet. That's another 14 million. So we got a ton of money. And we have a team right now with a lot of young players playing. So the cat the, the cat moves are coming. Um, Chark's been kind of a bust with he looked good that first game. I don't understand why they started going away from him, then all of a sudden he was hurt. It is what it is. And Bradley Chubb just got traded to the Dolphins. Okay. Um, so yeah. That's where we are drafting cap wise. We're in the best spot cap wise, and then the one of the better spots draft wise. So we're we have ass that's the assets we want. Um now TJ Hawkinson, who the the, the group chat is going off about how bad this trap this trade is. And if we go back to TJ Hawkinson, um, while Amon Rant Ross St. Brown is healthy, four catches, 38 yards, three catches, 26 yards, three catches, 18 yards, and a touchdown, one catch for six yards, four catches for 48 yards. Um, this week he had three catches for 80 yards. Uh, 60 of those were on one catch. Um, so he is a good player. Uh, when, when St. Brown was not there, he had that huge eight catch, 179 yard, 12 or two touchdown game. Um, just that game was just crazy points with Seattle. So he is a good player, but you shouldn't. And I've, you should never draft a tight end in the first round. And here's why here's the last tight ends drafted in the first round. Kyle Pitts, pick number four. What's he doing this year? He's a generational talent, but he's not doing anything um, despite being on a Falcons offense who has one other receiver uh, and no running back. Tyler Algier is the running back. Noah Fant, the other tight end drafted with TJ Hawkinson. He's already been traded for Russell Wilson amongst other picks. Um, TJ Hawkinson, gone, pick number eight. Hayden Hurst, pick number 25. He wasn't picked up again by the Ravens. So, again, Njoku, pick number 29. Was he worth it for the Browns? I don't think so. Evan Ingram, pick number 23 by the Giants. Already gone in Jacksonville and having an okay season. OJ Howard, pick 19, almost non-existent as a player. Eric Ebron, pick 10, one of the worst draft picks of all time in Detroit Lions history. Tyler Eifert, pick 21, had a one really good season. I had him on my fantasy team. He had 13 touchdowns, but his career built, fluttered out. Jermaine Gresham, pick 21 by, this, by the Bengals. That was three years earlier, and then Brandon Pettigrew, and so on. Um, so tight end's not a draft, not a, not a something you should be drafting in the first round, and with his extension coming up, are we really going to pay him $20 million a year? Um, I think it's better to get a second and a third round pick out of a player who barely contributes when your other players are healthy anyways. Um, James Mitchell, I think, can fill in for one catch for 18 yards or three catches for 36 yards. Um, him and Brock Wright should be able to combine for that. So I don't see the... Why is everybody crying? Do you want to rebuild or do you not want to rebuild? Because you want us to be good and you want everybody to be... I, like, you just expect them to just win. But also, if the team tries to make moves to get better, you also don't like that because then we're giving up players that you like. Do you like them? Is that what that is? Like, I don't – why do you want them if you don't like them? And then why don't you want to give them up if you think we suck? Wh 
Like, do you think if we just get a new coach, then everything will be fixed? Do you think if we just bring back Jim Caldwell, then we will be a Super Bowl contender? Because that's not true. Jared Goff is not good. You guys keep saying Jared Goff is good. He is not good. He is good enough to get your team through a season. He's not going to win you a Super Bowl. He had Sean McVay calling plays when he did get to the Super Bowl, and they got stunk, they got skunked by the Patriots. He's a turnover machine. He has tiny hands. He fumbles the ball. He throws pick sixes. We lost the past three games, basically, because of him. Now, also, you could say, yeah, we didn't make adjustments and all that, which is true. Um, and I don't have any issue with Jared Goff, really, but like I don't think he's the future of the Detroit Lions. So we should trade him, too. I hope I hope I get a notification that Jared Goff's gone. Um, we need a quarterback, and we need to build up the defense more. But Lions fans need to stop this cryberry baby pee pants approach to the, to the league where you just think that if we just fire our coaches and get new ones, that we're just going to – it's just going to improve. We're at a year and a half into the rebuild. A year and a half. And, oh, we've been rebuilding. Oh, we've only won one playoff game since 1991. Yeah, but you got to separate it. You got to separate it. It's not just we've been rebuilding since 1991. We had a pretty good team with Matt Stafford. We had to get rid of him because it was a smart thing to do after Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn put this roster into the dirt. And now we're building through the draft, and you guys aren't happy about that. You guys want them to go spend all the money on all these players that we don't have. We had a shitty cap space situation, which they are clearing up, and we had a shitty roster with shitty players who are now being filtered out for these new draft picks who are actually contributing. I don't understand what Detroit Lions fans want. And it's so frustrating being one, trying to be the guy. And I I know that there are some people that are like, this is the year we win the Super Bowl. Nobody ever said that about this year except for Ryan Armani on Woodward Sports. He said we would win like 12 games or something, which is insanity. Nobody should have thought that. I thought seven games this year would be a great season. That's not a lot. Now we're at one game eight weeks through the season. That's not good either. So we have, what, 10 games left? Let me give me one second to find how many games left we have. It's frustrating. Packers, Bears, Giants, Bills, Jags, Vikings, Jets, Panthers, Bears, Packers. 10 games left. We have one win. Um, Again, I'm not fully sold on Dan Campbell still. If we need to get rid of him, the Bills are 11-24. That's four weeks. So we have four weeks to get our shit together, and if we win, I think we can very well win Packers, Bears, and Giants. All those are winnable games. Giants, in my opinion, are overrated. I'm sorry this whole rants have been about the Detroit Lions, but this is one of the most frustrating things I go through in my day-to-day life. I've even muted my group chats because of it because it's just so annoying to listen to people cry baby about this. I have a friend named Carl, and he just cry. It's just there's no solution. It's just no, no matter what the Lions do, he's just mad. He's just sad that we suck, and he's just com- constantly complaining about a rebuild that's been going on for 30 years. And the rebuild started January of 2021. Okay, so we have picks. Maybe we can get more. I hope we get more. 
I don't care about the season doesn't matter anymore to me. It never really did. I just wanted to see improvement. And there is improvement. And there are good players on this team who are young, who are we're the youngest team in the league. <coughs> Rick. <clears throat> so one more time for the people in the back. Please chill out with the fucking lions. Jesus, Moses, and God. It takes more than a off season or two to get this thing together. And you know what? Maybe Brad Holmes bombs on all these picks and I'm wrong. And But at least I'm giving them a chance. You're not even giving them a chance. You just took what Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia did and said, that's, that's something to go off of. It was nothing to go off of. And stop giving me, oh, the fucking, the, uh, who was it, the Seahawks and the Giants and the Jets. Those are not Super Bowl contending teams. Those are improved teams. They're not that good. They're leaning on players that aren't that are gonna collapse at some point. It's already happening with both of them. The Seahawks might have something. I don't know what happened with Geno Smith, but all of a sudden he's good, um, and they are in a very good draft position. The Eagles are in a very good draft position. But why aren't we talking about teams like the Raiders who went all out, the Buccaneers who went all out, the Jaguars who went all out? Panthers already fired their coach. They at least gave them three years. I would be okay if we did that. Texans suck. Everybody knows that. Steelers. People were talking about the Steelers being a playoff team. Not me, but people were. (sighs) The Bears are coming back down to earth. The Packers are underperforming. Why aren't we talking about the Packers? Why aren't we talking about the Colts who are underperforming? Why aren't we talking about the Bengals who are underperforming? Patriots have the best coach in NFL history. Why aren't we talking about them? I don't know. I don't know, man. Different things happen for different teams. Maybe Dan Campbell isn't the right coach. I don't think he's looking like the right coach, but please shut the fuck up about this was supposed to be some grand season. It's a hard team to watch. It always has been. And the only way it's going to turn around is if we get behind these guys, if we start looking at these moves objectively and just know (laughs) that they're at least putting themselves in a position to make the right decisions. Because in the past, we weren't even in the in the position to make a good decision, which is so much more frustrating. At least having cap space and having draft picks and having young players that want to play is better than having four high-priced free agents, washed-up quarterback, money put into, like, guards who never play and... We're in such a better place. Please shut the fuck up. Thank you. That was my speech on the Lions. Um, We'll talk about other teams in the future. I just had to get that off my chest. My TJ Hawkinson rant. Good luck to him in Minnesota. I like the player. Is We should never spend a first-round pick on a player on a tight end again. Please no. I hated it with Pettigrew. I hated it with Ebron. I didn't like it with Hogginson. I really wanted Josh Allen. Josh Allen was already gone. Josh Allen, the linebacker. <sighs> the three, I mean, look at the best tight ends in the league right now. Kelsey was a third round pick. Mark Andrews was a third round pick. George Kittle was a fifth round pick. Darren Waller went through a whole bunch of shit. He was a drug addict, came back. I mean, all these guys have had better seasons than TJ Hawkinson. Um, Dalton Schultz, I believe he was a second or third round pick. Okay. 
Hawkinson's gone. Good luck to him. Moving on. Tonight, the first college football playoff uh, rankings will come out. And uh, I wrote another blog you should read. That's on my website, thecolorshow.com. Um, this is the perfect year for a college football playoff expansion. There are, in the past, there have been teams highly ranked that put out 20 draft picks in a year. Like uh, last year's Georgia team, that was an all-time defense. Um, nobody really stood a chance. Alabama did beat them once, but once Jamison Williams went down, they couldn't keep up. Um, the 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide, that team was loaded in a COVID year where everything was weird. Uh, the night 2019 LSU team had previous to last year's Georgia team, the most draft picks by a single team. They had one of the best, the best offense probably in NFL or college football history. They, I mean, Joe Burrow had an amazing season. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are two of the best receivers in the NFL now. And they were on the same team. Um, these teams were loaded and that seems to be the most, uh, the biggest argument for why the the playoff shouldn't expand um, is, well, uh, one team's just going to win it all. Anyways, the top team always is just going to win it all. And that's just not true. Um, and also, that's another loser way of looking at things. It's like, oh, why should, well, why should we play the other couple months, the other 13 games of the season if we know that Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State's just going to win every year? Why don't we just do a four-team playoff, Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, and we'll do Clemson. Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. Sorry, I think I threw Tennessee in there. Um, but, yeah, why don't we just do that? We'll just have a four-team playoff. We'll start it in uh, the last week of August, and then we'll have our playoff champion by the first week of September, and then we can all just enjoy Halloween. Um, but that's not how – that's logically not why you should do it. And college football has never been able to get this right. Uh, growing up, first season I fully remember is the – Remember watching was the 2003 season. So this was the BCS. I grew up with the BCS system, which such a crazy, crazy thought to me that the college football, the NCAA came up with computers choosing who should play for the national championship, even though there might be other, it happened the first year with Nebraska and Michigan, where there were two teams that won, they split the national title. So like, Year one, they should have known, like, hey, this still isn't going to decide the national champion. And they did it anyway. So then they, they <laughs> opted to go to a four-team playoff. Um, and even that still, like, there's it, the biggest argument every year is what is that last team that should get in? Um, four seeds have won before. So, I mean, it's not crazy to think that if we expand this thing that other teams couldn't upset the number one ranked team. Why are we just saying the number one ranked team should win every year if the four seed or the three seed or the two seed wins too? Um, and also, it's not really fair to, and I hate to be this guy, but it's not really fair to the kids that play the whole season and then they're like, oh, well, you're the five seed and you miss the playoff even if you're an undefeated team 
Um, I go through it more in depth in the blog, but I believe it was Ohio State one year was left out for Notre Dame, and Notre Dame got squashed, and Ohio State probably would have been a better option. But we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, so here, l- let's look at the this year the rankings. So right now we got Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan, the top four. Um, I would put Michigan above Ohio State personally. No reason. There's no um, no bias there. But Georgia and Tennessee play each other this week. That'll be an interesting game. It'll be uh, Tennessee actually playing a good defense here. Um, I would have Alabama ranked above Clemson. Clemson hasn't looked overly impressive, but Clemson's undefeated. TCU's undefeated, and they've played a much tougher Big 12 schedule than both. Well, not both. Than Clemson. So I would have Clemson above, or TCU above Clemson. So I would have Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, TCU, Clemson. That's seven teams. You got Oregon, who after getting squashed by Georgia in week one, looks pretty good. USC, who can't play defense but can score with anyone. UCLA and Utah, those are both good teams that run the ball and UCLA has a senior quarterback. Utah has a senior quarterback. They run well. UCLA runs the ball well. Um, they play defense. They have a big receiver in Bobo. I mean, Utah's got Kincaid over there. Uh, Ole Miss runs the ball really well. They lost to LSU, and I believe they play Alabama still. And then you got teams like K-State, LSU. We don't really know what they are. Oklahoma State just got squashed. But, yeah, that's t- – I mean, we got 12 teams here that, I mean, you could realistically say could beat each other. Georgia almost lost to Kent State and Missouri. They kind of struggled against Florida, who can't throw the ball really, but kind of threw the ball on Georgia. So, I mean, Tennessee looks really good right now. They don't play great defense. They've been in a lot of close games. Um, Now they have to play a game on the road. We'll see how they do this weekend. Ohio State has definitely looked beatable. Ohio State has, I mean, they have struggled against now Notre Dame, the first half against Iowa, and the first, what would that be, 54 minutes of the Penn State game until they exploded for four touchdowns in like two minutes. Um, But the offense gets off to slow starts, and they can't really run, like, Everybody, I a couple weeks ago, I heard like how good their offensive line was at blocking, but that seems to be their biggest weakness, and I, I I don't know why people didn't realize that earlier. I've been pointing it out. Um, Ohio State, yeah, they can they can score fast, and they have players on offense that can score fast, but their defense is not this impen- like it's not impenetrable. You can run against their defense. I believe if Penn State would have ran more. They could have milked more clock, and they wouldn't have been in such a shitty situation as they were. Also, Clifford, the five-year starter there at Penn State, just throwing picks left and right. and um, Their first two drives were picks. Or was it a pick and a fumble? Something like that. Anyways, he I mean, they should go with Drew Lahr for the rest of the year. He's I think we need to give him a shot, even though Clifford is kind of like a respect thing. But for the program, Drew Lahr is going to be a much better quarterback. Clifford make, makes way too many mistakes. But if they would have kept running the ball, despite those mistakes, they were in the game late. Um, now Ohio State got a pick six, and they got the ball back and scored, and they scored. Um, and Penn State just, I mean, they covered, so that was cool. So, yeah, that's 
Ohio State does look beatable. They look like they might not be this unstoppable team that everybody makes them out to be. They have good receivers. They have a quarterback that can throw to them when they're open. But they've been in bad situations. Iowa is probably the worst offense a Power 5 team has ever had. They look awful. And they were in the game halfway through the third quarter just because their defense was stopping Ohio State. Now, they exploded. Again, they exploded. But, I mean, Michigan there. Um, they had a close game against Maryland, a one-score game where Maryland scored on, like, the last possession in the final minutes, which, I mean, that should have been a 15-point game. I believe they went for two there. Um, Iowa scored on the last possession of that game to kind of, like, make it kind of look closer, even though I believe they still won by 20. Um, Michigan State, they just beat down. Uh, Penn State, that game was not even close. Penn State had three plays in that game that were their three scores. And then other than that, they were just absolutely just demolished by Michigan. Michigan is kind of beat, com- or not beat, built completely to beat Ohio State. Um, and I know I'm hyping myself up and I'm getting myself ready to be hurt. I'm not saying this will be an easy game in Columbus November 26th. What I am saying is this team, if there was a team to beat Ohio State, is the team. Like They run the ball. They get after the quarterback. They keep the big plays in front of them. Now, they had a few issues with Keon Coleman, Michigan State receiver, in the first half, just just throwing jump balls to him, and he was coming down with them, and he's a big athletic six-foot-four basketball player. Um, but they shut him down in the second half. They had negative one receiver receiving yards between Coleman and Reed in the second half. Um, so if they can get past that, if they can kind of get up and just – do what they did last year to Ohio State where they run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and then hit a few big passes, which I think they are more equipped to do this year than they were last year, and they haven't shown a lot of their offense. It's been a lot of a lot of simple stuff because they haven't really been in a tough situation. They've kind of – I mean, they've been in a few where, like, oh, they're, like, tied with Indiana, and then they pull away and – Maryland looks kind of good, but they were up already because of that first opening kickoff where the guy fumbles and kept it up. Uh, Iowa was kind of in there for a while, and they came out in the second half. So uh, Michigan makes the adjustments. They play the right type of defense and offense to beat Ohio State, and everybody is already writing them off. I don't know why. Um, Everybody's already pretty much just putting Ohio State in automatically. Now, Alabama – We'll see. Again, they play – they're going to play Georgia or Tennessee in the SEC championship pending any losses. Um, but, I mean, they can win out, and that would be a playoff team. Clemson is an undefeated, going to be the ch- ACC championship. They should be a playoff team. TCU, I think, still has a few games. Uh, I believe they play Texas this week. That'll be a tough one. We'll see if they get through it. I believe it is a home game. Um. But if they went out, they win the Big 12, why should they not be in, in the game? Oregon, besides one bad week, the first week of the season, um, has looked great. Uh, they've cost me money. Um, why are they not a playoff team, especially if they win the Pac-12, which UCLA, USC, and Utah are all there in the top 12 as well. Uh, if they went out there, why should they not be in the playoff? So there's all the – and then – 
The other argument is, well, they're always just going to argue about the last team in. Okay, maybe. Yeah, that's what happens. But do they not do that in March Madness too, which is like 64 teams, 68 teams? They do the last four in, first four out, next four out. Do they not do that? But isn't it much easier to say, oh, uh, St. Bonaventure didn't make it in this year because of the strength of schedule, and we're going to put Texas A&M in instead of them? Isn't that much easier than saying, yeah, the undefeated Clemson team can't go to the playoff because they only beat Wake Forest in overtime? What? Like the team that won the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12, three of the five power conferences can't make it because they didn't, they weren't Michigan and Ohio State and play each other, or they weren't Tennessee and Georgia and Alabama who play each other. I mean, we're in a situation where we could be looking at Georgia, Tennessee in the winter of Michigan, Ohio State, possibly in the college football playoff. Uh, if people have their way, like let's say, uh, what would it have to be? Georgia beats Tennessee, and then Alabama beats, or it would be Tennessee beating Georgia, and then Alabama beating Tennessee, and in the SEC championship. And then I could see three SEC teams facing the winner of the Michigan Ohio State game, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's <laughs> it's so stupid. And another argument that. There's an argument that the games would mean less if more teams make it in, and which logically doesn't make sense because if you have 12 teams playing, to, if you're playing for 12 spots, that means more teams are playing for spots, which means more games mean more. It doesn't make any sense why a if 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 we keep it the way it is, eight and one, seven and one. Seven and one, seven and one. If we keep it the way it is, essentially Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Ole Miss, who all have one loss, aren't playing for anything right now. Who are all really good teams, aren't really playing for anything, and then Clemson, Alabama, and TCU are playing to maybe get in, even though they could all go undefeated. The rest of, I mean, Alabama's got one loss and a last second over to a field goal to Tennessee at, at Tennessee. And like an all-time college football night game, like one of the best games of all time that I was at a wedding for. But I don't know how you can argue against. There's literally nothing. What else do I have written down here? Last spot's always going to be controversial. The games would mean less, which is so stupid. The games would mean more. Less players would be sitting out. If you're in the playoff, your players aren't going to be sitting out. That's why they sit out, is when you're out of the playoff. So we have good players playing for longer. Um, it's going to be more. There's going to be more big games. More games are going to be more if if teams at the end of the line are playing to get in. It, like let's say going down the line, we have an Ole Miss playing a Alabama team. And they're playing to get in the playoff. Would that game not mean more than a uh, Ole Miss team that knows they're not going to get in the playoff playing a Bama team that's fighting to get in the playoff? Yes. Thank you. Um, it would be more revenue. Obviously, the 12-team the playoff would play out the ass, um, both to the schools and to the NCAA, which I'm not a big corporation guy, but that's a positive. 
And then this would be some way to even out the recruiting. Um, a lot. I'm big in recruiting. I pay attention to it a lot. Basically, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Texas A&M now. Look at where they are. These teams all the past couple of years, or some of them more than the past couple of years, some of them just the past couple of years, have these monster recruiting classes which are far and above um, the other teams. And, I mean, there's different ways to recruit. Michigan, I know, doesn't necessarily go after, like, huge, these big fish. They get one or two a class. Um, and then they get a bunch of guys that they know they can develop, which leads to less players transferring, which is why they don't have that big of an issue with players transferring. I don't think they make false promises. I think with teams like Texas A&M, you, you're going to see a lot of pro- false promises, guys leaving because they're not playing, because they suck, um, not brought into the program. Um, so there's different ways of doing this. But if you're a recruit, and you're thinking, oh, well, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, these are the teams that are going to make it to the playoff where I'm going to get the most exposure, where I'm going to be playing the biggest games, um, and that's going to help my draft stock the most. That's where I should go. Those are the teams that put the most players in the NFL. Why should I not go there? But now if you get into more of these other schools, it gives them a chance um, in the recruiting field to say, hey, well, 12-team playoff, we get a good recruiting class going, we can – we can get a team that could shock the world. You know, it'll be one of those things, and we're going to see with the transfer portal now with guys leaving um, leaving their school after realizing they're not going to play. Now, it's both a good and a bad thing because, I mean, it's tough as a coach, but it's good for the players because you can go somewhere where you're going to play and you have more talent spread out throughout the country instead of the, uh, the Alabama running, running back room that they were talking about with, like, Derrick Henry, TJ Yeldon. Alvin Kamara, um, I, I don't think Najee Harris, but there was one other guy. They're like they have these these rooms with just stacked NFL players because all these top recruits go there, and I think this will even it out, and the transfer portal will even it out. So, with that being said, my college fo- football playoff this year would be, um, we'll just say Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan, and Ohio State. That's where we're at. It's not going to be that because there's still more games to be played and we don't know where we're going to be at the end. But we got an exciting final month of college football coming up. And, uh, yeah, that's all I really have on that. It's going to be a uh, going to be a fun year. Got a lot more coming for the show. I got a lot I'm working on. Um, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a struggle. But, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow with a Love is Bind recap. I am Kohler. This has been The Kohler Show.